Hey everyone, thanks for joining me today. This is the Faraway Farm Boy podcast, and I'm your host, Dustin. Before I introduce my guest, I'd like to give a shout out to my sponsors. This podcast is made possible by Livestock Veterinary Services in Pitcher Butte, Alberta. Livestock Veterinary Services provides a wide range of services for livestock, including dairy herd management, cow calf herd management, advanced reproduction services, medicine and surgery, and many more. If you're ready to see their expert veterinary team, call Livestock Vet Services today at 403-732-5322 or make an appointment at livestockvet.ca. This podcast is also brought to you by Chinook Dairy Service. Did you know that Chinook Dairy Service can fine-tune and optimize the performance of all brands of milking equipment? Call Chinook for a free milking system evaluation today. Today's guest is a nutritionist at a local feed company. Please welcome the very talented Joel Howling. Joel, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Dustin. Thanks for having me on. You bet. Uh, so first question, what do cows eat? <laughs> you should know. I'm supposed to say I don't know, but then I probably wouldn't be good at my job. So uh, they probably eat a mix of forage and concentrate. So Generally speaking, yeah. Generally. And then uh, what a, what a, whatever else rolls around. Yeah. Then, uh, yeah, usually about 50% forage or 60% forage and then the rest concentrate. So, yeah. So that's your job. Tell uh, our listeners about your job. What what do you what would your parents say that you do? <laughs> well, that's a good question. I have to ask them, I guess. But I uh, I'm a dairy nutrition consultant for Nutrisource, so I uh, provide feed for the my customers and ta- tailor that feed to to the customers' needs and the cows' needs as well, and try to meet uh, production goals and yeah, just. Uh, work with the farmer to make sure their cows are healthy. Mm-hmm. Um, what are some of the goals that farmers set? Like, how do you do that when a farmer says, I want to milk X amount of liters? How yeah. Do you, how do you feed for that? I think every farmer has different goals, right? Some people want to be at, uh, <clears throat> let's say 30 liters and maybe a little higher butter fat and other farmers right. want to be at, uh, let's say 40 liters or even higher. So then, uh, yeah, so just try to, you know, tailor, tailor the diet to those goals and make sure we get those uh It's not results. just more grain, like, oh, this farmer wants more liters, you just pound the grain to them. Yeah, huh. like sometimes it's just giving them more feed, right? Trying to make them eat more, right. giving them uh, more comfortable stalls or better air quality and things like that too. So, mm-hmm. so yeah, trying to work with the farmer on, on the diet too, but also the, the overall operation and just... Yeah, even I think uh, nutrition is a big part of it, but uh, management is also a big part too. So yeah, but as far as feed, how do you um, what do you change if a, if a farmer wants to produce more or less or whatever more butterfat, less butterfat? Well, in terms of forage, we'd uh, yeah we always try and encourage the farmer to have the highest quality forage. So yeah, um, even in robot farms, right, the biggest predictor of milk is forage quality. So. So that's what we try to encourage farmers to do. And then uh, just with ingredient quality, right? Like whether you feed right. yeah. distillers or canola meal or right. soybean meal. And, uh, you know, we could feed no palm fat or we could feed 400 grams of palm fat. So mm-hmm. it's, uh, 
Yeah, just kind of ingredient quality and types of ingredients and, and yeah, also uh, concentrate percentage as well. So. Great. Um, you have some robot farms. Like, how do you advise them to feed using a robot? Because there's different ways you can feed with robots, right? Like, feed all your concentrate in the robot or, like, half of it or, or very little of it. Like, what do you recommend? Well, typically I robot customers, they usually feed about four kgs of robot pellet in the in the robot. Okay. And then the rest would be in the PMR. So um So another seven in their in their uh in their TMR or or their at the bunk. Yeah, at, at the, the bunk, yeah. Their uh partial partial mixed ration. Right, so. a PMR. Yeah. Yeah. So four kgs, okay, okay. Yeah, so some people some people go down to three and other people could be up towards five or six, but I find, uh, you know, four to five is kind of a general, general, uh, area where the cows eat a consistent amount of robot pellet every day. So yeah. What's the, what's the idea behind feeding more, like, uh, just getting more visits or. Yeah. The other thing is lead feeding, right? So the more you push, push pellets, the more the cows can milk as well. Right. So, you know, you can try push the cows for more milk, but then you can also kind of just accept some inconsistency in their intake from the robot pellet so oh you can expect that yeah when you push more concentrate through the yeah so let's say you assign like let's say a heifer a fresh heifer you know you assign six kgs of robot pellet and then for the first let's say three weeks they only come to the robot twice right they're only getting four kgs of of pellet because typically you don't feed more than two kg per visit so oh i see yeah so yeah it's all and then you kind of got to factor in, you know, you think they eat six kgs, but they're only eating four, right? So right. it's kind of adds a little unknown when you increase the amount of robot pellets. So how many uh, farms do you have that are robotic? It's kind of the way forward, right? Like a lot of guys are going robotic or what? Yeah, right now I only have probably two customers robots right now. So, but uh, yeah, I think the the trend is to go robotics for sure. So yeah. And yeah, at the end of the day, I think too, right, it's, yeah, the cow's still a cow, so you still got to provide, you know, nothing's really changed, you just got to understand the robot, right? Like, they still need to eat, and you're still still trying to maximize dry matter intake, and then, uh, yeah, trying to care for the animal as best as possible, so. Yeah, there's that dang fly again. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, cool. Well, I'm going to go through the prepared questions I have for you. <laughs> Got some Google questions here about cows, and uh, see how you do. Give you a score at the end of this. What's what's my uh, prize if I get them all Nothing. right? Nothing. You don't. There's no oh, prizes geez. on this show. <laughs> <laughs> Thought I was gonna get a free cow or something. Well, maybe we'll see. We'll see. Okay, we'll see. <laughs> Are cows better cared for on small farms? So you come from a large farm. I, I think it's considered a large farm, right? Your parents yeah, I'd say so. Like yeah, six hundred cows, right? Ah, uh, like four hundred, four hundred, three fifty, right now. So yeah. So what would you say? I think these are Google questions from <laughs> the U.S. or something. So yeah, I think part of that question is you know the perception that the public has that you know you talked about it on a different podcast about this small you know red barn mentality, yeah. right? And how right. that's how that's a really good thing. But, uh, yeah, I think, yeah, I think if you have a large farm, it doesn't mean that the farmer doesn't care about the animals, right? You can have a, 
you can have a small farm who doesn't take care of the animals or you can have a big farm, right? right. So I know... Uh, Not necessarily, you'd say, I guess, right? Yeah, so I think, yeah, like when we were kind of, when my, I guess, brothers and that were designing the their barn, we went down to Wisconsin too to talk to Gordy Jones. And he said when he was building his big facility down there for, <clears throat> let's say, 10,000 cows, he brought all the owners to a to a farm with, with like 20 cows, right? And he said, whatever barn we build, we want to take care of the cows like what these people would do. At the same yeah. level. Uh-huh. Right, like okay. so that care that you have for the animals on a small facility, that's the care you have for a big facility as well. Interesting. And he's a, he's a nutritionist as well, or is he a vet? Yeah, he's a vet and okay. consultant as well. So, oh, okay, that's yeah. what he was doing, so, designing burns. Yeah. Huh. See, so, yeah, I think... Yeah, at the end of the day, sometimes you get bigger farms too, right? And they're they're good business people too, right? So they realize when you treat a cow well, they treat you well. So yeah, it's absolutely uh, usually goes hand in hand. And there's so much to, um, you know, small farms. They're they're such a big part of our marketing mm-hmm. because that's what people relate most to, right? Is their yeah. small farm. Lots of people are one generation away from, or maybe two generations away from the dairy farm, right? Yeah. I, you see a lot. It's like if, if you tell people your job, they're probably like, oh, my uh, uncle, you know, <laughs> used to have a farm that we used to visit, right? Yeah. Or like people that aren't in ag, they always, they always have somebody that uh, used to farm, right? Yeah. And they relate to, you know, a 60 cow herd or whatever. And they're not used to, you know, these bigger farms. Well, in, in Canada, bigger farms like, what, 300 or something like that, right? Yeah. They're not used to that. Yeah, I think it just goes back to what they, they can relate to, right? Like, yeah. Yeah. A lot of people can relate to, let's say, I have a couple of cows behind the barn, and <laughs> yeah, right. It's harder to relate to a bigger <laughs> farm, so yeah. But I'm sure the same will be in the next generation, right? As farms continue to expand. Yeah, so that's you know, a good question. Yeah. Like, do you think the next generation? Well, the, obviously, there's going to be fewer people that even have a relative that has a dairy farm. But do you think those few people will identify a dairy farm as like a um, hundred cows? I would or think th- so, yeah. Do you think that, like, forever they're always going to picture, like, 30 cows in a red barn on green grass as a dairy farm? No, I, I think I think whatever our experiences are, we're going to relate to that, right? So right now, if, let's say, the average is 200 cows, right, I think the next generation it'll probably be, you know, they say it doubles three times in a lifetime. So you go to 400, then 800, Sorry, and then the 1,600. average number of cows? Yeah, just on a farm. Oh. Right. So I think, I think, uh, you know, even the average size in the next generation, right. If it's 500, we're still going to think, think of the cows as, you know, farms as smaller farms too. So. Yeah. Yeah. I can see that. Yeah. Next question. What are dairy farmers doing to prevent animal abuse? Oh, I should have (laughs) had these questions. (laughs) You're a nutritionist. Uh, You wouldn't know anything about that really. Yeah. I'm not sure. Every farm you visit, you you beat cows on. Uh, I don't know, I guess, yeah, part of it is as farms get bigger too, right, the owner's doing less of the work too of the actual yeah, right. handling of the animals. So I think training is a big thing, right, oh, just yeah. training yeah. employees and all that to to take care of the animals. and Yeah, and we yeah. rely heavily on, on our uh, standard operating procedures, which are all compliant with pro-action. It's yeah. like when you go to like some of our meetings, like pro-action <laughs> is just like we have to do so much paperwork to uh, – make sure we're compliant and that's all part of you know producing 
high quality milk, I guess. It yeah. sounds like a sales pitch here, but like we, yeah. you know, we comply with like the highest standards on earth. I don't know of any other country that has as high standards as Canada. Yeah. Yeah. As much as it, you know, the rules in that are a pain, right? It's uh, there is some good to it as well. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Between us, we always complain about yeah. paperwork. Right? <laughs> I don't think we're the people that are cut out to do paperwork. That I don't think you'd say that about farmers in general, like, at grain farmers or whatever, no one likes doing paperwork, so. Yeah, usually they just like doing the work outside and then. Yeah, right. Getting the job done and that's it, so. Yeah. <laughs> Do cows get milked year round? Well, that's a good question. Go for it. See if you can answer that one. Yes, they would, yes. In North just, America, yeah. Yeah, I was just thinking in New Zealand, <laughs> I think they go through cycles, right, where they. Yeah breed all the cows and then they freshen at one time and then yeah they New dry Zealand them off at one ireland time too i think right okay i follow some uh farmers from ireland on twitter but i think like the pasture-based ones they do like the i don't know if it's spring calving or whatever but then there is some that are like uh conventional too yeah that they yeah i think too right it's it makes sense with quota just to have a consistent milk supply as right. well yeah so. Yeah, so, yeah, in any in any situation where you're, uh, you know, needed to produce milk year round for the processor, you want to have that cow producing year round too. Well, obviously, she. It, I guess what we mean by producing year round is like for people who don't know, you know, a cow is pregnant for nine months and then goes or it goes dry the last two months of its lactation. Right, it doesn't keep milking year round. But yeah, yeah. Why aren't dairy calves kept with their mothers? <laughs> this is a good one because there's a guy uh, uh, on Twitter again that's he, he's got a small farm and he keeps his calves with the cows. And he says there's all sorts of science behind it. So it's very interesting yeah. to hear your answer. <laughs> <laughs> you should have given me the easy ones, Dusty. Yeah. <laughs> I think uh, I think at the end of the day, if the if the calf drinks all the milk out of the cow that's less milk that we can sell to the consumer. Right. Right. So it makes sense to take the calf away. And there's also probably the health health part of it too. If you have a whole bunch of uh, cows there, you don't want the calf sucking from all of them and right. being in that dirtier environment because, yeah, the calf's immune system is a lot more compromised than an adult, adult cow. So. so that's taking it to the extreme, like where you'd keep the calf on the cow for like two months or whatever. Like that doesn't really make sense, I don't think. But... There's more signs coming out that says that if you give that calf the transition milk, it actually helps with its uh, immune buildup as yeah. well. Yeah, there's a lot so of like, yeah, there's a lot of you know like colostrum powder has a lot of IgGs and that in it, yeah. but it's uh, I think there's a lot more growth hormones and things like that that benefit the calf in the that natural. we're starting to learn about too. So right, yeah. So yeah, it could be something that we you know we let them drink from the cow for the first, let's say, week or something? or. But the, the huge thing against that has been the transfer of diseases. Yeah. Like if there's any sort of, any speck of manure on the, on the cow, you know, and that calf can then get the disease that came from the, from the cow, right? Yeah. So that's been the reason we have shied away from doing that. I've seen guys that have like... Um, in their calving pen, they have like a half of a chemical tote. Mm -hmm. So as soon as the cow calves, the calf gets put in there, the calf can still, or the cow can still lick the calf off, but the calf can't nurse on the cow. 
and then like it's you know it's in there for like eight hours or whatever and the guy comes and takes it out and feeds it colostrum or whatever so that could be a way that it's a healthy transfer and i guess you could just you know keep the you know take out the transition milk too from the cow and then feed it to the calf in the hutch as well yeah right so there's there's other ways to get that transition milk to the cow or the calf i mean so yeah what do you guys do like what do you guys kind of recommend at nutrisource like what do you uh what's your calf program like in terms of colostrum or or just transition milk or yeah like what's your uh go-to thing when you're recommending um stuff for calf health to guys yeah, so I don't know if Nutrisource really has a specific, you know, protocol, but I I'd say my my recommendation would be to give let's say four feedings of colostrum. Oh yeah. And then uh yeah, try to get the first feeding in as soon as possible. And then uh yeah, some more either 6 hours later or or 12 hours later. Mm-hmm. So, and then if it's possible to to isolate that transition milk and feed it to the to the youngest six calves or whatever, whatever works right. for your operation. So I think, I think the colostrum thing is a, a big part of it. Yeah. Covers I've, a multitude of sins, I think. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I've like, uh, I, you know, you have transition milk and then, but I have older calves too. And I'm like pretty hesitant to feed transition milk to, to calves that are, I'm about to wean type of thing. Right. If they're a month and a half old, it's like, Oh, I don't really want to give it to them because they'll get the shits or whatever. Have you heard anything about that or no, I haven't that heard too about rich for older calves type of thing. You don't, you know, the consistency, consistency is not there either. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's tough. Cause you don't always have a consistent supply of transition milk either. Yeah. Right. So that, that makes it a little tougher too. Like some, some cows have lots of milk and others right. barely have enough for one feeding. So I would like, if let's say you feed four pails or something to the calves, I, I just feed the one pail to the youngest calves right start with right. the youngest and yeah you know keep feeding them till till that pail's done so yeah just on a smaller farm you always have like varying amounts of everything right so yeah. hard to keep it consistent it's another reason big farms are good i guess <laughs> yeah just yeah claustrum and cleanliness and consistency i think those are the three c's that i usually focus on so colostrum cleanliness and consistency with calves okay yeah. cool um what do you wish you had known when you started out this job? <laughs> uh, that's a good question. Because <laughs> you started, what, five years ago? No, I so I've been in it for three years. So three? I started September 17th, 2018. Okay. And then I uh, started for Nutrisource August 11th. Okay, yeah, right. You were at so, trial for a bit, yeah. 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 So what do you wish so, yeah. you had known? <laughs> I, mean, I think... You, obviously, it's a pretty steep learning curve or I mean while well, you came off a of dairy too and you went to vet school right well yeah I tried to get into vet school for a while and then uh resorted to this route but okay I think like who was the last last person on your podcast was it the GM of uh Alberta Milk no it was uh Mike Duncan oh, okay BC. yeah okay so the yeah in your podcast with what's her name Frida Frida, Frida? yeah yeah, she said just like how people different, you know, people have different personalities and that. I okay. I think that's a big, big thing to this job. And, you know, you want to be dealt with differently, let's say, than your neighbor. Oh, right. right? So yep. that, that personality definitely comes into play in a lot of things too with what we deal right. with. So, <laughs> you know, there, there's some people who want to be in contact with you all the time and there's other right. people who want, 
you know, just a visit once a month or right. once every two months. So, so I think, uh, just understanding personality, that's been a big eye opener for yeah, me. For so. sure. Yeah. I can see that. Cause you, you deal a lot with people, right? Not so much with cows necessarily, yeah. but numbers and people, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I think, yeah, just people, that's a big, big part of it. So it's always good to, uh, learn that aspect of it too. Yeah. And what do you think about the future of the industry? I think it's good. I think we have a lot of, uh, yeah, good young people as well, right? As a mm-hmm. kind of next generation farmers like yourself. And, you know, there's a lot of younger people now too, making a lot of decisions as well on farm. So I think that's always a good thing. Like we need that, you know, new people to come in and mm-hmm. continue the industry. So I think that's very positive and yeah, I see for the rest of the industry, we're just kind of going to have to become more efficient in all things and yeah, and yeah, continue to get better at that because yeah, I don't think we'll get paid much more for our milk, yeah. right? So I think it's just a matter of becoming more efficient with what you have. Yeah. So. Yeah, the uh, outlook is pretty bleak as far as uh, the, the price goes, like price of milk and well, not necessarily just the price of milk, it's, it's the rising costs of everything else, like hay shot up at least 20 bucks a ton. Uh, what are you hearing from guys? How are they handling that? Yeah. And even barley is 400 bucks a ton now. Right. So yeah, I think, yeah, I think whenever prices rise on our conventional ingredients, we got to look at alternatives. Like I think the, the first kind of temptation is to pull back good quality ingredients and lower costs, but Mm -hmm. I, that's not always the best, best thing to do. So I think just looking at, you know, alternatives and all of a sudden if the prices of something go up, it kind of gives way for something else as well. Yeah. Hmm. So yeah. What, have, what have you seen as far as like other alternative ingredients? What's coming into the market that wasn't here before? Well, I think just some additives to, let's say, to take the pressure off palm fat. Okay. That'd be one thing. And um, yeah, I think, I guess for this year too, just trying to find non, non-forage fiber sources just to extend our forage supply as well. Non-forage so fiber Just like sources. beet pulp or soy hulls or okay. things like that, right, yeah. to, uh, you know, just to extend the forage supply because uh, there's a lot of farms without any forage this year, so. Yeah. So not only the prices went up, it's like in the middle of a drought too, right? <laughs> Crazy. Well, and yeah, it's not just prices of one ingredient either, right? It's price of palm fat, price of barley, right. price of protein, and, you know, all that, all that, all at one time. Yeah. <laughs> So why did palm fat go up? Just shipping? I think shipping. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And, and lots of other stuff just kind of inflated too. Like, I don't know, wages for any service providers probably went up a couple bucks recently, right? Yeah, I think so. I always, I always seen, uh, like even at grocery stores, right? People cleaning carts and all that during COVID. And it's like, yeah, that's just another expense that we'll have to pay for, right? Like things like that, right? We're just inefficiencies that I don't think the, you know, the business is going to just take on, right? It's, it's probably right. going to be passed down, but. So like, but yeah. how do we, uh, what's the way forward <laughs> as far as, uh, like, I, I don't see how this is sustainable. Like I, I can't see any new guys starting dairy farming right now. Like why would you? It barely pays. Yeah. Right? It's, Which is yeah, for the tough, cost yeah. of everything. And yeah, let's hope, uh, this doesn't continue too long, right? Hopefully it, uh, yeah. prices come down again and 
we get back to normal. But yeah, I think I think no matter what era you live in, farming doesn't always make sense, right? But you know, you kind of <laughs> you you get in and it's Hope a it's best. a lifestyle, and you know, it all works out in the end. So <laughs> it's kind of yeah. a leap of faith, I guess. They're all happy uh, endings. Yeah. 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 No one ever goes broke farming. <laughs> um, what makes you hopeful in, in that light of things and in life in general? Because the distress doesn't really end where the the feed prices are. I mean, like, everything in our lives has gone up, like, in price. And, I don't know, it's just a tumultuous time. So yeah. what, what makes you hopeful about circumstances I, today? I just think, you know, like just the overall improvement on dairy farms, like just with technology, rumination collars or activities or, you know, things like that. And then <clears throat> feed wise, you know, better quality ingredients and, you know, computer programs that predict things more specifically. And then, uh, yeah, just barn design, all that, right. Just getting, hmm. getting more efficiency out of the cow. Yeah. Like I think even, I don't know, I haven't been in the industry too long in the feed side of it, but I know back in the day it was you were happy if you had four percent butter fat, right? Now, right. now yeah. we're, you know, you're kind of you have to be at four percent almost. So yeah, those those are things that make me optimistic about it too. Just just uh, you know, increase in productivity out of cows and, and yeah. all that. So as far as uh, getting more out of each cow, what's your what's your view on um, how many lactations a cow should have? I mean, the, there's some large farm attitudes where they where they see it not being profitable to invest in a cow's eighth and ninth lactation let's say <laughs> right whereas like I'm kind of hoping for that sort of thing obviously not that many but yeah what's your view on that I think you know the long longer we can keep a cow alive and producing I think the better for everyone like it you know, there's a lot of work just showing how much money it takes to raise a calf and mm. to get her paying for herself. So I think, I think anything extra is gravy at that point. So, but how and, at the same time, can we take advantage of better genetics if we're keeping these cows longer? Yeah, I think, yeah, it's always a continual improvement, right? But I wouldn't get rid of your top producing old cows just for the, the hope that the younger ones are good too, right? Like, at the end of the day, you're always going to replace, let's say, 20% of your herd anyway. So I, I feel like that'd be a good void for the genetic improvement. Right. So I think I think that's even our role too, right, as nutritionists is to, uh, you know, make diets and dry cow diets for, for these animals that make them live as long as possible and, mm -hmm. you know, have healthy, healthy transition periods. So I think, uh, yeah, I wouldn't want to just write off an old cow and get rid of her, right? Like... Right. But as we see our, um, let's say, Im improved leaders per cow kind of uh, plateauing, like, you know, in, in the 70s, you know, the efficiency per cow just skyrocketed, right? We're going from, uh, I don't know, 20 liters per cow to 40 or whatever. As we see that those <clears throat> numbers kind of plateauing, is that going to change our call rate going forward? Or do you think like 20, 25 percent, that's going to be something that we always see or is it going to go down to like five percent because these cows are producing the, the you know the new animals are producing just as as much as the old ones and they're genetically speaking they're just as good type of thing 
maybe a yeah. slight improvement. But I think I think genetic would just be a one part of it, right? Like we can right. improve the nutrition on the whole herd and you know the the barn environment and all that too. So I think we'll continue to improve on all those animals as well as we go forward, but so yeah, I don't know. I think yeah, it is nice to have a low call rate, right? And just cuz that means usually means you're you're taking care of cows and right and all that, but you know, the other side of it is if you're not expanding, you're going to have quite a high call rate too, right? Like you're just going to have more animals that you can get rid of. Right. right. If, if you're, if you're breeding all, um, all conventional or, or whatever, right? Yeah. And even if you're not expanding your herd, right, you can, you can get away with not too many animals if you're keeping old cows alive. Right. Yeah. So yeah. I see. Yeah. Uh, what's something you've failed at? <laughs> in life or in this job or well, what i don't know in life let's start uh, with life <laughs> oh might have to go uh off air here or something yeah take a deep dive what have you failed at how about yeah maybe you should answer that I, first I and then i'll, I'll answer it <laughs> okay you do that uh, first and then yeah. i'll think of something that's a good question um i well i was looking at some pictures of our barn and all the renos we've done last night my wife was showing me and it's just like, why did I do like <laughs> a specific reno? Just like, oh, why did I do that? That was so stupid. Just like, I don't know, adding on to the barn certain things and just working my butt off to do stuff. <laughs> and it's like, oh, that was stupid. I don't know. Those, those are little things that I just noticed last night. But there's other things in my life that are like, I don't know, they're pretty big where they're like, oh, man. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm going to need more time for that one, but I think uh, your failure, if that's your worst one, you're doing pretty good. <laughs> no, it's, no, I don't think it's my worst uh, one. It's just one of the recent ones that I noticed. But yeah, I don't know. There's lots of stuff with farming where I look back and yeah, even I've only been farming since 2013 here. And it's like, there, there's lots to yeah. look at. Um, but what's, uh, what's on the Nutrisource horizon? What's going on in Nutrisource? Oh, just trying to uh, take care of our current customers and, you know, provide the best for them and add, continue to add value for them. So, right. Yeah, I guess we yeah. had uh, Adam uh, Miguel on. Yeah. He, he's part of Nutrisource, right? Yeah, so I'd worked pretty closely with him, and he's been really good, too, for, for me as well. So, yeah. yeah, and then there's Dan Chapman as well right. down here on the Nutrisource team. So, yeah, it's uh, yeah, a good company to work for and good people and... Yeah, they make uh, work fun. So yeah, yeah. And you guys do uh, you guys do farms in Saskatchewan too, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're yeah. I think yeah. We have some farms in Creston, BC, and then okay. uh, we do feed yeah here in Alberta, and then Saskatchewan, and also Manitoba. Okay. So it's uh Manitoba yeah too, grown okay. grown pretty well. Cool. Since I think '05 or something. So cool. Yeah, on the way here, I was counting how many episodes you did. This is your forty-first or forty-second episode. Yeah, forty-second. So, yeah, how many more are you gonna do? I don't know. Just keep going. <laughs> it's fun. Yeah, I don't know. How many people are you gonna have to bring on here? Or are you just gonna keep bringing have the same to? people on, or what? Oh yeah, I've had uh, <laughs> multiple people multiple uh, times. So no, we we never run out of things to talk about. So no, I yeah, it's fun get to uh it, it's basically just an excuse to drink beer and talk about cows and yeah exactly get together with people like <laughs> especially during the the 
pandemic here, like, <laughs> you know, everyone's, you know, kind of just doing their own thing and, yeah. you know, you don't have to go out, so you don't, right? So, yeah. no, it's been good to encourage people to come over and uh, talk about cows. So, I don't know, it's kind of my thing. I like um, talking about industry stuff and, yeah. Yeah, it's, I find, uh, like, a lot of the policy stuff with um, Alberta Milk kind of interesting too, like just how it's done and, um yeah, just kind of behind the scenes, like what goes on. Lots of stuff with um, processing, like when we have meetings and we talk about processor relationships, that stuff really interests me. It's like, oh, that's how you do that, right? Like how you, you know, right now, you, you know, we're communicating as a Western milk pool with processors on how to do stuff or whatever. And I, I see a small glimpse of that. So that's kind of been kind of cool to see learn yeah, how to do that. It's probably cool for you in, in your new role, right, to learn all that stuff. and yeah. Let me think, what's the best, what's working best on your farm right now? Everyone always focuses on what you want to improve and, and the negatives on your farm or mm-hmm. whatever, but what's working well for you here? Uh, well, I just got those activity collars and I'd okay. just been breeding the first couple of cows that it picked up that I wouldn't have noticed. So like, it'll text me, uh, a cow was in heat last night or whatever. And it's always like, I, I would have never caught some of these cows you know, coming to the parlor in the morning and then she's just standing there like nothing happened, right? It's like, no, no, you were in heat last night. (laughs) My phone says so. (laughs) So that's been working good. So So. can you, can you track your conception rate and all that too, from when you started to, let's say, um, year down the road or something? Well, I can just do that like by kind of calculating when I put the system in type of thing, but you can hook it up to dairy comp too. Okay. It's a, yeah, it's just a standalone Bomatic system that you can, uh, it talks to dairy comp too. I don't have dairy comp, so okay. I got to figure that out on my own. But it'll be, it'll be cool tracking, right? How, what your preg rate does and things like that yeah. going forward. So yeah. Yeah. I think too, the, I'd expect the conception rate to go up too, just with, uh, yeah. Knowing when to breed them as well. Right. Yeah, there's always right. that time where they could be in heat, let's say at six thirty, right when you leave the barn Yeah. and also you see them in heat, you know, the next morning and that's, that's when you think they're starting their heat. So yeah, that's it's kind of right. cool to to time them a lot better too, and get better conception rates on them. So yeah, yeah, and our conception rate never really was a huge issue. It was always around forty or some percent. But like, I I totally agree. Like, uh, this program will tell me exactly when to or give me a window of when to breed them, right? And yeah. I've had somewhere like I would have bred them in the afternoon, you know, because I seen that like you were saying that mm-hmm. she was in heat in the morning. But actually, I you know had to breed them right away. So. Yeah, that's been working really good. So, hopefully, a uh, good investment. But um, yeah, thanks for coming on. Yeah, it's thanks for good. having me. It's a uh, windy day, so it's good to be inside here. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, instead of uh, gravel blowing off the yard into your eyes. Yeah. So thanks for coming on. All right. Thanks a lot. Thank you for listening to the Faraway Farm Boy podcast, episode number 42 with Joel Howling from Nutrisource. This podcast has been made possible by Chinook Dairy Service. Did you know that Chinook Dairy Service can fine-tune and optimize the performance of all brands of milking equipment? Call Chinook for a free milking system evaluation today. Join me again next time on the Faraway Farm Boy podcast.